Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-197, the Trotsky Icepick Baby LP. We have mentioned Trotsky Icepick on the show a ton of times, and we'll get into that during our history lessons today. But very cool to get into Trotsky. It's their first LP, first anything for us mm-hmm. on the show. So super pumped to get into them. I don't know whether we've talked about them before in depth. I think I've mentioned before, though, Brent, that... I never really paid a ton of attention to Trotsky until the new Trotsky and Danny and the Doorknobs LPs have come out in the last couple of years. And then I've been revisiting Trotsky and just loving it. Mm -hmm. So I'm pumped to get into this one. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Kel Johansson on the show. It's amazing to have Kel on. And it's a great interview. First, though, without further ado, Brent, if I'm not mistaken, we have to do our... SST 2021 roundup this episode. Am that's I right, right on that? Yep, yeah, that's right. Yep. So how do we want to do that? Well, just to clarify what this is for everybody, this is everything that was on our radar last year, I guess, for SST related musicians that put out material. Uh, and we probably missed some. So if we did, let us know. Yeah, for sure. And are we going to do SST and then maybe a Mike Watt roundup? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the the Mike Watt one is probably as long as the rest of it combined. Okay. It's pretty long. Well, uh, why don't you start, actually, and then I'll back clean up, and then uh, I'll go through some Watt releases. Sure, if that's how you want to do it. I have lots here. Go for it. Okay. Uh, Jay Mascus, Fed Up and Feeling Strange, live and in person, 1993 to 1998. A three-CD live solo set on Cherry Red, with Mm -hmm. a 1998 set in Copenhagen, heavy on the dyno tracks, uh, and that one's previously unreleased. Yeah. Also as part of the Sub Pop Singles Club, uh, two songs with Kim Gordon that uh, Jay did. Uh, It's not a split, they wrote them together, and Kim sings them both. They're both great. Fred Armisen plays bass on one track, too. Yeah, Abstract Blues and Slow Boy. Yeah. Did you watch Fred Armisen's stand-up special uh stand up for drummers yeah yeah it's not bad eh? it's not bad jay mascus is there too in the crowd same with jello biafra yeah yeah a bunch of people actually uh uh what's his name from faith no more i spotted uh mike borden yeah yeah, yeah. well i think it's done in the bay area it must have been right yeah yawning sons sky island on ripple music uh, Gary Arcee from Yawning Man, collaborating with uh, UK psych band Sons of Alpha Century. Uh, Scott Reeder, Mario Lally, and more play on it. Cool psych rock with great vocals. Elliot Sharp has, of course, been super busy recording and releasing new music, but also reissuing older stuff. Uh, ElliotSharp1.bandcamp.com uh, has a bunch of this stuff on it. There's a Carbon reissue from 94 called Truthable that has to be heard pretty gnarly stuff with kj grant of cop shoot cop on on vocals oh yeah uh some live carbon material some older stuff from his virtual stance era also the dual guitar collab with charles k noyes on zor called besotted which charles sent to us he sent us a copy nice yeah uh also charles's debut the world and the raw people from his solo debut, uh, 82. It's remastered and up on the Zor Bandcamp page. 
The Klinemann is a cool project eSharp had that came out this year. And Ryan, a really neat project he had with John Kruth called Noodle Shop that's been remastered. And that's up on the Zor Bandcamp. So much stuff to find on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I count at least four releases from Henry Kaiser, probably way more. Uh, I won't mention all of the collaborators. There's just too many. Uh, the Secret Handshake with Danger is a cool avant-garde jazz rock uh, album. That's a good one to check out. Pacifica Coral Reef is another good one uh, with frequent collaborator Wadada Leo Smith uh, on trumpet. Uh, both on New York experimental label 577 Records. He's also still doing his weekly solo on the Cuneiform uh, YouTube channel, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, right. He did like what? He, like he had uh, Colby on and, who, and a bunch of people, hey? Uh, he had Mike Watt. Or I, I, actually, I guess it was Mainstream Stop Valve. Ah. And Watt sings. They do Keep on Chuglin by... CCR with Watt on vocals. What? Yeah. I didn't know about that one. That yeah. I have to see. Keep on chewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, he did one with Anthony Pirog, which is really good. Kira Ryan has her debut solo album, Years yeah. in the Making, on Kitten Robot, recorded there. That's Paul's studio, co-produced by Paul. Very minimal, very similar to some of the Dose stuff. Uh, there are drums on some tracks. Paul plays on it. Uh, Kira definitely has her own unique sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a live stream a few weeks ago on Kitten Robot's Facebook page. Uh, Paul played on that as well. That was super cool. Fred Frith, uh, at least three, again, probably more, also with various frequent collaborators. A pretty wild one is A Mountain Doesn't Know It's Tall with IQ Mori uh, on the Swiss label Intact. John Lydecker of Negative Land, under his pseudonym Wobbly, has one called Popular Mointress, which is a sound collage, and another as a member of a trio called Redwoods Interpretive, which is more ambient. Negative Land has a four-song seven-inch called No Brain on their label Sealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wobbly also uh, has an album called Anti-Arc, as a member of a band called Sagan, also on Sealand. New Jersey punk band John Caspi and the Firstborn released a song called She Is Fine, which features Dezo on lead guitar. Nice. Some cool practice tapes from 84-85 up on the treacherous Jay Walker's band camp, uh, which feature J.J. Abdullah on drums, who I believe was the first drummer pre-James Fenton. Uh, also, tons of new live recordings up on Josh's uh, band Spain's Bandcamp page. I can't wait to get into more Treacherous this year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Kira and Paul Rossler, Paul Rossler released three killer albums on his Bandcamp this year. Boy Scout, which was recorded in 1998. Twelve Steppers and Junkies, recorded between 93 and 95. And a fave for me, Fireman, recorded 96-97. He did the cover art for all three painted them. He did little write-ups about all of them, so those are cool to read and check out. Uh, he's got them all up on his band camp for Name Your Price, but please dish Paul some, some money and check them out. Uh, and Ryan, he dropped a brand new album on January 1st. Right. Soft in a Hard World. Jason Kahn, uh, he's always adding new stuff to his SoundCloud, and that's always worth your time. 
the Mofungo Bandcamp page put up an unreleased album from the early 90s. Sonic Youth's Bandcamp, two new ones up this year, Live in Dallas 2006 and a fave uh, for me, uh, Austin 1995, the Washing Machine Tour, which is an era I just love. They do a great 15-minute version of the Diamond Sea. Uh, Lee Ronaldo released an album this year with Lucien Jean, which I haven't heard. Kim also released a live album recorded in 2014 in New York as part of a duo, which I've also not heard. Steve Shelley pressed a double album on his Vampire Blues label of a lost album by the band Disappears, who uh, he was involved with for a while. Thurston has four new releases up on his band camp. Uh, Scree Time uh, sounds like a movie soundtrack. I'm only guessing that uh, that's the meaning behind the title, Screen Time, sorry. Mm. Uh, a couple of albums of straight noise jams, not really my thing, but... Uh, if it's up your alley, check it out. Wharton Tears has been busy. Check out his band camp for three new releases, Symphony Number no. 9, Beyond, and some recordings he made between 87 and 2005 under the name Wharton's Expanding Jazz Band with Glenn Bronca and Paige Hamilton, uh, Jay Maskus, Thurton, Thurston Moore. Uh, my favorite was 4-track, 77-83, uh, which I assume, as the title suggests, is four-track recordings. Uh, it's kind of various soundscapes, sampling, drum machines. It's pretty cool. Devin Sarno is always adding cool new stuff to his band camp, and he's launched, launched a new label, Perceived Sound, uh, with five releases already announced for 2022. On the SS Tree, Ryan Jack and Dino just released... Uh, the new album that you mentioned recently, Set Myself on Fire. I'm sure this is in your list, Ryan, because you're a huge fan. Scott Reynolds, Chihuahua and Buffalo. Yep. Produced and engineered by Bill. It's pretty great, hey? Oh, yeah. I love anything Scott Reynolds. Yep. Uh, you mentioned last week in your top 10, The Descendants, Ninth and Walnut. I guess yep. kind of a lost album. All written, I believe, pre-Milo, but recorded in 2002 with Frank Nevetta and Tony Lombardo with new vocals recorded by Milo during the pandemic. Yeah. Here's my question on that from last week where you were crapping all over me for having it in my top 10, perhaps. <laughs> if you don't put that in your top 10 of 2021, what year could it go in? They can be in your top 10. Okay. Yeah. And what about the boot heels? What year does that go in if it's in your top 10, if not 2021? Sure, man. Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's pretty cool, man. Kind of a missing link between the fat EP and Milo Goes to College. Yeah, like I said, though, um, it's such a interesting record to hear the distinctive Frank and Tony sound as, yeah. as part of the Descendants again. Hey, like Frank's guitar tone is just only Frank. Hopefully some new music in 2022. I'm sure they're just waiting until they can tour, you know? Yeah, yeah, I sure hope so. Uh, HR has released some some singles, uh, and he played a bunch of shows. Uh, the uh, There's a reggae version of the Isley Brothers' Fight the Power. Super dubby and cool. Uh, Universal Love is also another great new track. Hopefully a full length in, uh, in this year. Also, of course, there's the Bad Brains reissue campaign on ORG. Uh, we talked about Dino's phenomenal new album in our top tens last week. 
Uh, they also released a recording of a live stream that they did this year called Emptiness at the Sinclair. It has a number of tracks off the new album on it. That's really good, Ryan. Yeah. Speaking of top 10 material, the new Divine Horseman album, Hot Rise of an Ice Cream Phoenix, just barely missed mine. It did make a number of top 10 lists that I saw, though. Mm-hmm. Double album on In the Red, DJ Bonebreak on drums, Bobby Permanent standing in for Robin Jameson on bass, Peter Andrus just tearing it up on guitar, uh, plus, of course, Julie and Chris. Some cool covers, a re-recording of Handful of Sand, uh, a Chris D solo album track, Mind Fever Soul, Fi- Soul Fire re-recorded. Uh, it's really great. Uh, and Chris also teased a new album in the works for Divine Horseman. Yeah, Hot Rise has got an amazing package too. Like in in the days when you kind of question whether you, you should drop your money for like a double LP gatefold, like that is not just the music, but the package. It's like the perfect package album. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Another cool Chris D related project from this year is the Record Store Day release Soul Suckers on Parade. Uh, an LA indie label, Minky Records, put that out. In 1984, when Chris was working on the Don't Shoot comp, which I believe was also when he met Julie, uh, some of the people working on that also made this, which was basically a Jeffrey Lee Pierce solo album made up of covers. Chris produced and sang backups on it. It's got Dave Alvin, Bill Bateman, and Gene Taylor of the Blasters on it. Jack Watterson of Green on Red is on bass. Kid Congo's on it. It's a pretty cool listen. Soul Suckers on Parade. Yeah. A tie-in with this episode, Ryan, is the second Petrified Max album called Year Gone By on their own Poison Summer Records, which they were nice enough to send us a copy of. Uh, the band is Danny Frankel on drums, along with John Rosewall and Vitas Matare of The Last, but also Trotsky Ice Pick. Yeah. Petrified Max also released two digital singles last year. Mm-hmm. Super killer. Uh, kind of reminds me a bit of Sloan at times with the 60s influence. Ah, interesting. Yeah. All right. Southern Lord released Neon Christ 1984, which is their, uh, it, it's basically their single, some comp tracks and some unreleased stuff. Neon Christ is the band William Duvall was in before leaving to join Blast. Speaking of Blast, Clifford Dinsmore's band seized up. Uh, with Fast Asleep guitarist Danny Buzzard, Good Riddance bassist Chuck Platt, and Distillers drummer Andy Grinelli have a new three-song seven-inch called Marching Down the Spiral on Canadian label Cursed Blessings. If you like their debut, you'll like this. Pretty gnarly punk rock. Clifford can still belt it out. Uh, A digital release of Zoog's Rift Rarity's comp Music Sucks, originally a a snout cassette only (laughs) release in 1984. It totally rules. Sam Bennett of Semantics and Carbon uh, was as prolific as ever. He kind of has this Tom Waits-esque thing going now and just releases stuff like crazy on his Bandcamp page. Mark Pickerel's new proj, Pickerel and the Peyote 3. I Have Visions, really cool Americana, almost a rockabilly Chris Isaac vibe at times. Mark's a great singer. And also uh, a covers album up on his band camp, Rebel in the Rear View, which is really good. Royal Arctic Institute featuring Doss Dahman's Lyle Heisen on drums. Kind of a jazz instrumental group. Uh, they have a new EP, Sodium Light. Steve Fisk scored a documentary called 
Manzanar diverted when water becomes dust. Sam Merrick's band with his partner Catherine, uh, uh, their band AKA Bell, have a new 7-inch. New highs in leadership. Kind of folky pop. Uh, the B-side AM Do has some bitchin' guitar from Sam. Definitely check that out. Uh, speaking of Record Store Day, the Mud Honey Meat Puppets split single on some pop megaforce. They cover Earl Montgomery's One of These Days. That's super interesting, if you haven't heard it. Uh, back to Paul Rossler. Um, his studio, Kitten Robot, uh, is just humming along. And uh, the label Kitten Ro- Robot, uh, founded by Josie Cotton. Uh, there's a new track by her, uh, which Paul plays on and he produced. Uh, a new track from Crow Jane, which is another artist he's collaborated with. And also uh, the Dark Mark versus Skeleton Joe uh, on Kitten Robot. It it's kind of gets referred to as Death Disco, kind of a Sisters of Mercy-esque thing with uh, Mark Lanigan's amazing vocals. As I mentioned last week, Mark also sings on a track with the new Manic Street Preachers record. The song's called Blank Diary. Uh, sorry, Blank Diary Entry. It's really good. Also, as podcast pal Jim Ruland discussed on a recent piece on his Message from the Underworld blog, Lanigan uh, put out two books this year. Yeah. The Leaving California Poetry Book on Heartworm Press, and then later in the year, Devil in a Coma which is apparently shorter pieces describing uh, the severe illness he experienced when he contracted COVID-19 earlier this year. Speaking of the trees, uh, Gary Lee also has a track up uh, that just rules off his forthcoming album that's coming out this year. So looking forward to that. And I'm sure this is on your list, Ryan, because I know you're a fan. Trinary System. Uh, That's Roger Miller uh, of Mission of Burma, who had a number of... I guess, solo albums on SST that we'll get to in, you know, five years. Uh, One track up on their band camp, but it's a good one. It's an unreleased demo. They reference that they had plans to do a full length in 2020. I'm assuming that that got thwarted due to the pandemic. Greg Siegel of Paper Bags Bandcamp has a number of new releases. A new one called Chance, a few collabs with uh, someone named Bret Hart, another solo one called Good Morning, and then For me, the most interesting one, Paper Bag's Real as Life, which is 55 improvised pieces from 1987. This was all recorded on the three nights following the set that they released as A Land Without Fences. Wow. Yeah, all recorded live to two-track, all engineered by Phil Newman at Spinhead, and recorded for specific radio shows, complete with bumper intros recorded for the shows by the band, uh, with great independent radio show names like Druid Fetish, (laughs) (laughs) Like an Ice Pick Through Your Brain, uh, Rebel Exam. So that's really cool. Check that out. Get primed for our upcoming episode 200. Yeah. With Paper Bag, Ryan. I'm primed. Yeah. What do you have? What did I miss? Okay. Batting cleanup. Mm -hmm. All right. So Gary Lee also released his Revelations in Fuzz record in 2021 on Vince Bus Eruptum hmm. from, from Italy. Uh, Down by Law also released their Lonely Town record. Split single, Jason Narducci's uh, band released the excellent Amplificato LP as well as their digital single Live from Electrical Audio Studios. 
Lou Barlow released his Reason to Live LP. There was that weird Loteria El Musico comp with zillions of SST-related artists on it that uh, I'm not sure if it actually saw the light of day in 2021 on ORG Music, but I know it was announced. I just don't know if you can get it yet. It looks like you can pre-order it only still. Uh, Dumb Numbers, that super group, uh, released a single called Scars on Joyful Noise. This time on the SS tree, it includes Murph from Dinosaur Jr. As part of Record Store Day, Mark Lanigan's Here Comes the Weird Chill LP was reissued. Descendants and HR put out some tracks on the Punk Rock Saves Lives comp. Field Day put out two singles, the Invitation single and the Y single. Harry Carey on Water Under the Bridge Records released their demos release, which was cool. Sonic Youth and Pastels had that split 7-inch. That's old tracks, but it was released in uh, 2021. The Salvation Army Mind Gardens Mm. was reissued on double 7-inch, originally released on New Alliance. Right. And then there was the Highway Butterfly comp, the Songs of Neil Casal, which has a Jay Maskus track on it. Um, So those are the additional ones that I had. And then Brant, for our next component, I don't know who's on first, but... Watts on bass. You got that right. So the Cutthroat Brothers released two LPs in 2021. The first one, The King is Dead, and then the second one just before the end of the year, The Devil in Berlin. SLW and Watt released two uh, full lengths, Real Manic Time and Let's Build a Log Jam. Uh, You mentioned Mainsteam Stop Valve. They released the Live Flowers LP. And then again, just before the end of the year, the Scott Acher EP 7-inch. Watt is also on the Benefit for the Black Heart Music Club comp. He's got a track on that. The Dose Justament Trace was reissued for Record Store Day. Watt is also on the Tav Falco Club Car Zodiac 12-inch. Watt and Henry Kaiser are on the Horsey Can't Swim comp. Watt is also in that new combo three-layer cake who put out their cool stovetop LP. I mentioned uh, last week, I think, that the tribute to Repo Man was reissued. And then finally, uh, that cool band Organs released a new cassette called Slow Compression, which Watt plays on a track. Mm-hmm. I was listening to that Cutthroat Brothers stuff while I was shoveling snow the other day, and it was totally helping. It's cool, hey? Yeah. The singer even sounds like Watt a little bit. Like a few times I thought it was Watt on lead vocals. <laughs> it might have been. Yeah. Uh, and we should mention too, The King is Dead, that Cutthroat Brothers record, that has a Raymond Pettibone cover as well. Yeah. That's it, man. Lots of SS tree growth in 2021. Looking forward to 2022, man. We've got, you know, Jim's book coming out. Can't wait for that. So good. Yeah some exciting new releases hopefully the uh these immortal souls reissues maybe oh that would be so good yeah i'd love to hear those again uh greg norton's new band ultra bomb yeah with the canadian tie-in yeah and some exciting stuff you're going to hear about in the uh interview here too yeah the Kelzon. yeah looking forward to it man yeah man well should we drive in the ice pick yeah let's do it
History Lesson, Part 1. All right, Brent. Super excited to get into Trotsky Ice Pick on today's episode. We've discussed them on previous shows involving bands like The Minutemen, The Leaving Trains, The Last, but now it's time for the deep dive. And when you do a deep dive on Trotsky Ice Pick, you have to start with the urinals. Some of what I cover is in the upcoming excellent interview with Kel, but it's also still to set some of this groundwork. And as you'll come to hear, Kel kind of did the same thing twice. He was in two bands that morphed and changed their names. First with the urinals into 100 Flowers, and then second with Danny and the Doorknobs into Trotsky Ice Pick. Right. So, the urinals. Formed in 1978 at UCLA by John Talley Jones who was also in Rad Waste, Vena Cava, Vicious Fence most recently, and then also, of course, into 100 Flowers. Kevin Barrett on drums from Rad Waste and God in the State. And then, of course, third in the urinals is Kel Johansson. The urinals were minimalist, absurdist, Dada-esque punk, and they were highly influential. And a big part of why people know who the urinals are is because the Minutemen covered their classic song, Ak Ak Ak, on Three-Way Tie for Last. They were also covered by a bunch of bands over the years. Uh, one that I always think of is the um, Tom Hazelmeyer band from Amphetamine Reptiles. Uh, Halo of Flies covers their classic, I'm a Bug. And when Mike Watt plays, he is often also going to cover the urinals song, Surfing with the Shaw. I love that track. From their classic 1978 self-titled single, produced by Vitas Matari from The Last, and also later of Trotsky Ice Pick. And that was self-released on the urinals' own imprint, Happy Squid Records. The urinals also released the Another EP in 1979, the Sex 7-inch in 1980, all this is collected together with live tracks on the Negative Capability comp, which first came out on Amphetamine Reptile and then subsequently on In the Red, both co-released with Happy Squid. And of course, the urinals are on tons of comps. The urinals also reformed in 1996 without Kel and put out the excellent What is Real and What is Not in 2003 and also the next year at Marionbad in 2015. When I saw the urinals play, I was talking with John and Kevin, and John kind of referred to Happy Squid Records as a farm team for SST, and it kind of was, hmm. because Happy Squid put out releases by The Leaving Trains, Angst, and then of course members of the Urinals and 100 Flowers went on to Trotsky Ice Pick. But before we get to Trotsky Ice Pick, we have to now go from the Urinals to 100 Flowers. 100 Flowers had the same members as the Urinals, Basically a name change to reflect a maturation in their sound, and as you'll hear from Kel, also intended somewhat to help them get more shows. The name 100 Flowers is taken from a Chairman Mao quote, let 100 flowers bloom, let 100 schools of thought contend. That was related to a period from uh, 56 to 57 in the People's Republic of China, during which the Chinese Communist Party encouraged citizens to openly express their opinions of the Communist Party, known as the 100 Flowers Campaign or 100 Flowers Movement. This movement was originally designed to promote the flourishing of the arts and the progress of science. However, following the failure of the campaign, the uh, Chinese Communist Party Chairman Mao conducted an ideological crackdown on those who criticized the party. 
100 Flowers, the band, released the Presence of Mind EP in 1982, again on Happy Squid Records, and again produced by Vitas Matari. Then they released their self-titled LP in 83, which contains a song called Funky Kel, which we'll get into in the upcoming interview. They also released the Drawing Fire EP in 1984 with the excellent Bruce Liker design. Um, and this EP was re-released with bonus tracks of all the single and comp tracks from 100 Flowers by In the Red in 2020. Also, there's the 100 Years of Pulchritude comp from 1990 on Rhino, which is a very comprehensive comp, a good one to track down. Mm-hmm. 100 Flowers also reformed later to put out their fascist Groove Thang 7-inch, which came out on Space Case Records in 2019 with the same lineup. Okay, so that's the urinals and the 100 Flowers. How do we get to Trotsky Ice Pick, you ask? Well, our next step is Danny and the Doorknobs. The only way that the urinals and 100 Flowers can later reform is if they dissolved, which they do when Kel leaves the band. By this time, Vitas Matari had also left the last. But ground zero for Trotsky Icepick is really the Danny and the Doorknobs project that Vitas started and which first appeared on the Happy Squid sampler with the jangly song Melody, and that's from 1980. Vitas plays everything at that point except for John Frank from the last who plays drums. And you can get the Happy Squid sampler on the CD reissue of the Happy Squid comp Keats rides a Harley. They just tacked on the Happy Squid sampler at the end of the Keats uh, comp. And that CD reissue has great liner notes too, by the way. But with both Vetus and Kel out of the last and 100 flowers, they decided to join together under the Danny and the Doorknobs moniker. The first recording of this lineup was the Poison Summer LP on Old Scratch Records from 83. And then the Whispering Glades single on Old Scratch as well from 84. As you will hear in the interview, though, that Poison Summer recording was later repurposed as SST 254, the Trotsky Ice Pick presents Danny and the Doorknobs in Poison Summer. But when Jamie Lennon joined on the keys, Danny and the Doorknobs changed their name to Trotsky Ice Pick. And like Danny and the Doorknobs, Trotsky Ice Pick's first recording was called Poison Summer from 1986, which we'll get to on episode 239. That lineup is Kel Johansson, Vitas Matari, John Frank, and Jamie Lennon. But for the recording of this episode, the Baby LP, which was recorded in 1987-88, this is SST 197. The lineup is Kel Johansson, Vitas Matari, John Rosewall, on bass and Jason Kahn on drums. Jason, of course, we've seen on the show before as part of Leaving Trains, Cruel Frederick, and uh, on Universal Congress of, and Jason was also a guest on our episode 109. Before we dive into the Baby LP a bit more deeply, though, let's give a little bit more info on where we'll eventually go with Trotsky Ice Pick and tie together some other threads. As I said, we're going to get SST-239, the Trotsky Ice Pick Poison Summer, SST-254, the Danny and the Doorknobs Poison Summer, and this is SST-197 Baby. We'll also have Trotsky on for episode 246, the El Cabong LP, 279 with Ultraviolet Catastrophe, 
286 with Hot Pop Hello, 295 with Carpet Bomb The Riff. And at that point, Trotsky Ice Pick dissolved in 1993, also ending their run on SST. But that ain't all. As mentioned, the urinals and 100 Flowers reformed. And in, in 2018, Trotsky Ice Pick released the World War X 7-inch on Kell's Mustard Only label, where you can also find Kell's solo releases, 2000's Pie Men versus the Lightbulb Men, and 2001's Tower of Isolation, both with John Frank and David Nolte of The Last. This 2018 version of Trotsky Ice Pick is Vetus, Kell, John Telly Jones, John Frank, and Tom Hofer from Leaving Trains. In 2019, John Rosewall joined, now on guitar, and they released the I Haunted Myself LP in 2020 on Poison Summer Records. And in 2020, they also released the Acrylic Digital EP. But that's still not all. In 2019, the Danny and the Doorknobs pseudo alter ego moniker was revived, and they released the Birthday Wishes 7-inch, as well as the excellent Jukebox in the LA River LP. The lineup at this time for Danny and the Doorknobs is John Frank, Tom Hofer, Tom Watson, Kel, Vetus, John Telly Jones, John Rosewall, and Jamie Lennon. But we're still not done. We should also mention, uh, which we talked about a bit as part of our SST roundup, uh, Vetus's band, Petrified Max. Uh, this is actually Vetus, John Rosewall, and Danny Frankel on drums. They put out the Charlie Drove North LP in 2020 as well as last year, the Year Gone By LP, and two singles, two digital singles, the Lucky Couple and Tomorrow digital singles. So that's kind of the full history from ground zero to present. And then uh, we're now going to divert into the Baby LP. Yeah, so did you see this blog by Mike Shanley called Blurt? No, what's that one? Oh, I found a f a f some cool stuff on there. Can I just read you some of it? Yeah, man. This is some of this is stuff you already talked about, but uh, Mike Shanley says among all the bands on the SST roster during the 1980s, Trotsky Ice Pick might have seemed like the biggest anomaly. Not sure I agree with that. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. Baby, the band's 1988 debut for the label and third all-around album, sounded closer to the power pop that was coming out on New York's Homestead Records than the West Coast's labels Golden Boys, Husker Du, or The Minutemen, let alone St. Vitus. That's a weird statement. I don't agree with that. There's some serious un-pop songs on this baby LP. Yeah, and I wouldn't say Homestead is like a power pop label either. <laughs> Yet the band had roots from the first wave of the LA punk scene. Guitarist vocalist Cal Johansson played in the urinals, who wrote Ack, 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 a wiry punk rock blast later covered by the Minutemen minus one ack who cited the <laughs> <laughs> well yeah maybe on the record jacket they still get all in the right yeah. acts do you believe do you seriously think that watt and boone would miss an act forget it forget it uh who cited uh the urinals as an early influence johansson's six string counterpoint Vitas Matari played organ with the last, which he describes as punk rock kinks, in addition to recording many early sessions by seminal bands like The Gun Club and The Leaving Trains, as well as The Urinals and later Slovenly. Mm -hmm. While the lineup shifted with each release, 
Trotsky stayed consistent by writing ear-grabbing guitar riffs that contrasted beautifully with the often dark tone in their lyrics. This was especially true after former Urinal slash 100 Flower John Talley Joins joined as lead vocalist. But nationally, response didn't come as quickly. There was never a rabid Trotsky fan anywhere, recalls Matari, apparently forgetting who was interviewing him. But there were people who enjoyed it. That made it fun for us because it isn't a band, an audience kind of thing. Someone else would come along and say, that's a really cool song idea. Too bad you guys can't sing it any better or play it any better. And that approach is sort of what we like. We're not here to sell records or be rock stars. The article goes on to talk about these reunion shows that they played, opening for the Meat Puppets. Uh, it doesn't give a year exactly, so I'm not sure when this happened, but probably, you know, I'm thinking 2018, maybe, ish. So then he goes back into the history. The band self-released two albums called Poison Summer with different band names. The first was credited to Danny and the Doorknobs with stark but extremely tuneful works by the basic trio combining 100 Flowers moodiness and the last's crisp jangle. For the second release, they took a name based on a quip Matari made on a bad night at Club Lingerie. The sound man hated us and put every microphone up to full blast and pulled it back. And I just fried up front trying to sing. So we stopped playing, and I said, thanks for the Trotsky ice pick, dude. <laughs> of course, because apparently that's how Trotsky was killed, hey? Yeah, Leon Trotsky was killed with the type of ice pick used to scale a mountain. There's actually a, uh, it's not like an ice pick that you find at your parents' dinner party. There's a well, I, don't, I don't find ice picks at my parents' dinner party. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you're talking about like the one from this Sylvester Stallone movie cliffhanger, yes. right? Yeah. Attaboy. I, I'm picturing like the little ice pick that you would find in the bucket of ice. There, I, I actually saw a, uh, a promo photo of Trotsky with one of those giant things sitting on the floor. Uh, from this came the moniker for the second Poison Summer, which had a little more polish, thanks to both a fuller production and the addition of keyboardist Jamie Lennon, which you mentioned. The name eventually stuck when the quartet realized that they were moving to a more serious level. All of a sudden, it felt like a band that actually had a set, Matari says. Everything up until that point had been a joke. We were laughing about it. We finished that record, and we thought, wow, we can play this live, and, and it will sound at least as good as the record. Uh, here he is talking about the move to SST. This is Vetus. Greg Ginn, if he liked music, offered to put out stuff for bands if they didn't have another venue. He wasn't trying to steal bands or derail bands. He had a really cool way about it. Look, if you guys get a better offer, take it. But if you don't get anything good, don't take something bad because I'll give you the best that I can do for you. And you can step out of it whenever you want. On the band's uh, Bandcamp page, Ryan, where you can hear the first two albums, um, yep. although you shouldn't go listen to them, you should hold off for episodes 239 and 254. <laughs> <laughs> uh this is what they say for the first Poison Summer, the Danny and the Doorknobs one. They say, the concept was to change the band name with every release, but leave the album title the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Yeah, a surefire way to get to the top of the charts. Yeah. <laughs> Should we kick it over to, to Cal? Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Cal Johansson. Cal, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, I want to go back 
to your early musical beginnings. Sure. You grew up in L.A. Well, you know, I grew up in, um, <clears throat> in Anaheim. And then uh, to go to school, uh, I went to Los Angeles at UCLA, where I met uh, John and Kevin, mm. where we started the urinals. So ever since then, since probably, what, 78, I've been in Los Angeles. So by the time you're at UCLA and you're starting the urinals, what kind of music are you, are you into at that point? You know, it's really funny. I think um, me and John, I'm not so much sure about Kevin. You know, we kind of came of age with, um, you know, kind of prog rock and, and heavy metal and a lot of British bands. But um, around 75, things started changing. We started listening to, to different music. And so um, when we first kind of met up, we were all listening to kind of a similar group of, of bands, um, Wire, yep. uh, Buzzcocks, uh, The Jam, <clears throat> a little bit later, Gang of Four. And then um, local bands, it would be uh, Minutemen, The Last, Gosh, who else was playing out? The Plugs, X, uh, The Bags. So those were kind of the early influences, both, uh, you know, uh, larger bands and then local bands. Uh, Go-Go's, Wall of Voodoo, Human Hands, things of that sort. Do you think the urinals get their due as far as, like, first wave L.A. punk? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I think for a long time, probably no. But then there was kind of a resurgence of interest a few years back, and the um, uh, the singles were all repressed and re-released. And then um, Negative Capability, which was kind of a compilation of the singles, um, live tracks, and, and co uh, compilation tracks was put out. And that's stayed in print and sold very well. So I think um, it's, it's funny. The reputation of the urinals, I think, at the time uh, was not as big or widespread as it later became. So that was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, so so I'm I'm satisfied. You know I'm thrilled with with uh, how um, people have retained interest or new fans have come to that music. So I, I I have no complaints. Definitely one of those bands that you hear other artists name drop as an influence. Right. Right. Which is which is a thrill to hear. Yeah. I mean it, that's yeah. fun. That's got to be really gratifying to hear to hear that for sure. Definitely. Okay. So. You met Vetus and Kevin at UCLA. You formed Happy Squid Records. So, yeah, that was um, <clears throat> actually um, me, John, and Kevin were in the urinals. Vetus saw us perform mm -hmm. one of our first performances, and he came up to us uh, and just said, hey, uh, I think you guys are great. I want to record you. And we had no idea what we were doing or, or what was involved. So... He had a four-track recorder, recorded um, four songs in his uh, parents' uh, uh, pool house over Thanksgiving weekend. So he was a little bit ahead of the curve uh, from us, and he just said, uh, hey, this is, this is great. You guys should put it out yourself. Because he, uh, he and the last had self-released some, some records. So we you know, kind of scratched our head and said, well, gosh, how do you do that? And so he, he told us you know, where the pressing plant was, the mastering. So we thought, well, um, okay, we're going to do this, but who's going to put it out? And he said, just do it yourself. Right. <laughs> so, so I remember we, we sat around and we said, well, we need to come up with a, a, a label name. And so we just said, okay, well, let's, we've got some homework. Let's go um, think about it and come back 
you know, next week and see what we've got. And I remember I tried to come up with the most unlikely name for a record company. <laughs> I don't know why Happy Squid popped into my mind, but it did. And as soon as I said it, everybody said, yeah, that's it. Let's, let's go with that. Well, if that was the goal, I think you hit your mark with Happy Squid for sure. Right, right. Okay, so then you and John and Kevin morph, I guess, is the word I would use, into 100 mm-hmm. Flowers, 100 Flowers. What? Why was that decision made? Were you? Ju- it was just because you were taking the music in a different direction? Well, it was a couple of things. I think, one, we didn't take ourselves too seriously at the beginning, uh, especially with a name like uh, The Urinals. Right. And so I think um, it was a combination of, I think we just wanted to be a little bit more, <laughs> a little more thoughtful about you know who who we are as a band, and we were I think changing our music. I think part of it too was um, some people saying. I remember the Booker at uh, the Starwood said, you know I've heard you guys, I like you guys. There's no way I'm going to put that name on my marquee, but if you ever change your name, you're welcome back. So I think it was a combination of things. Right. Were you playing shows as Danny and the Doorknobs at this point already? No, no. Danny and the Doorknobs came. I had left uh, uh, 100 Flowers, Mm -hmm. and uh, Vetus was unhappy with his band situation, which was the last. And so, um, you know, I, I think he, I can't even remember, I think he and I just said, well, hey, you know, we've got some song ideas. Why don't we kick a few things around in, in a rehearsal studio. And we did with um, one of the drummers from the last, John Frank. And so, you know, that was something that seemed relaxing, fun. There wasn't a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually, um, Vetus used the name before the three of us got together. He did a track, I think it's called Melody, on the Happy Squid sampler, where it's just him on vo- uh, vocals and guitar and on drums. Uh, with John Frank. And so that was just a little throwaway project, but uh, he kind of invited me in and, and uh, we hit it, well, the three of us hit it off. So that was a post um, 100 Flowers project, at least as far as my involvement. Right. So this was like, you didn't do anything between 100 Flowers and Danny and the Doorknobs, you yourself? No. No. No, I didn't. Okay. And Jamie Lemon on Keys, I think, was an early member. Who's Jamie? Jamie Jamie Lennon is part of the famous Lennon family. I, uh, being up in Canada, I don't know if they're familiar to uh, folks up there, but they started as a uh, vocal group, the Lennon Sisters, mm. and they appeared a lot on a, a variety show called the uh, Lawrence Welk Show. Yep. And so, okay, so um, <clears throat> so there was uh, a lot of singers and musicians, and Jamie's father was the. Uh, famous boxing ring announcer jimmy lennon uh jr ah. and you can you can yeah he's he's got a long history and i think he might have even been in um the de niro film film raging bull as the ring announcer so john frank the drummer went to school with jamie they grew up together and were best friends so jamie you know being a musical guy um was asked hey you know can you fill in on some parts that we need and and so he joined the three piece now were you primarily playing bass at this point you yourself you know in um in danny and the doorknobs our our first our first recordings i played uh, guitar and bass and then um i think we did i think vetus john and i did a live set at a party out in the south bay with 
the last and some other people and Venus and I both played guitar and then when we when Jamie uh, joined we changed our name to uh, Trotsky Ice Pick that's when the name change happened so Jamie was on uh, keyboards and keyboard bass and when he was playing keyboard bass I'd play guitar and when I was playing bass he'd play keyboards so um, we kind of you know shared the duties both in the studio and playing live oh you instrument swapped live yeah that's cool I like it when bands do that yeah yeah okay so you record poison summer right release it on vetus's label old scratch right okay and that was the that was the danny and the doorknobs version right so that came out before the name change yes it did okay so where did danny and the doorknobs come from is it does it ha does that reference any actual person or is it just a made-up <laughs> I think I think it's a made-up name. I think Vetus was trying to come up with something that was uh, self-deprecating, you know, not taking itself too seriously. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got I don't know Derek and the Dominoes. You've got Danny and the Doorknobs. So I think it's just kind of one of those, you know, riffing off that kind of uh, kind of name. It, it kind of gets a little bit confusing, if I have this right. After the Baby album, you go back kind of to the name Danny and the Doorknobs and release a second album called Poison Summer. And then it's in the name so, of your record label later on. Right, right. So so uh, Danny and the Doorknobs first with Poison Summer, then Trotsky Ice Pick, Poison Summer. And those were, those were both released on Vetus's label. So where it gets confusing is we start our uh, run with SST with the Baby album, and then as we're going forward with Baby and El Cabong and, and uh, the other releases, Vetus talks to Greg Ginn and says, hey, we've got these um, previous albums. How about we re-release them on SST? So they become they, they get re-released on SST after Baby, even though they were recorded in previous release. Right. So so the number so the catalog numbers don't really reflect the recording. So that that was that was kind of confusing. And um, so Vetus decided you know, while we're doing this, we should really remix and refashion the original Danny and the Doorknobs album. And that's why the SST version is called Trotsky Ice Pick Presents Danny and the Doorknobs in Poison Summer. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, you'd have to work really hard to try and make it as confusing for people to follow <laughs> as possible. I think, and, and kind of following along the lines of some of our earlier efforts, I think we uh, succeeded very well in confusing many people. So, <laughs> so was Vetus the, the connection to SST? Yeah, he made, uh, <clears throat> I think um, the last were connected with that group. They played with Black Flag and, and the other SST bands and were uh, kind of close to that group. So, you know, Vetus said one day, hey, SST is, gonna, is interested in putting it out. So um, it's like, wow, that's great. You know, they're a really cool label with a lot of good bands. So, yeah, he made that he made that connection. So, as far as you know, the album was already recorded, the baby album. Let's see. I think we were in the process of recording it, and um, I think that's when Vita said that SST was was interested. Okay. The LP says recorded live during Wednesday night rehearsals, winter '87 and '88 at Lyceum Sound Recorders. So, I'm assuming you were recording at Vita's or sorry practicing at Vetus's studio and just, you know, we have a song, let's record it. 
So yeah, so Vetus um, had a had a house on uh, Rose Avenue in Mar Vista, and what he did is uh, when he moved in, he converted the garage to a, a recording studio, and uh, so it was combination uh, re- rehearsal studio and recording studio, and um, me, Vetus, the bass player John Rosewall, all lived at the house, and then the drummer Jason, he was in Los Angeles, so we just show up and, and rehearse, and when something was in you know, shape and ready to record, we go ahead and, and record it. Pretty handy having someone like Vetus in your, in your band. <laughs> <laughs> Very handy. Yeah. He, um, he, he was the, the, um, really kind of the idea guy and, and the driving force with, um, you know, uh, hooking us up with SST and, um, having the studio and, and recording and engineering and, and producing it, mixing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And he was busy with a lot of other recordings too. Oh yeah, for sure. We've seen him, his name pop up all over the place. Right. Now, how does John, how did John and Jason come into the picture? So uh, the lineup after, at the time of the Trotsky Ice Pick Poison Summer album was Vetus, me, John Frank on drums and Jamie Lennon on uh, keyboards, keyboard bass. So after we recorded that and played live to promote it, I think Vetus was just interested in a, a different sound and a different approach. And you can hear it from the transition from the Poison Summer album to the Baby album. So he was he was looking for uh, a different approach. And so what he did is he told uh, told the guys that he was interested in working, um, doing, you know, doing something different. And then he um, brought in uh, John Rosewall on bass, who he had played with in the last. And... Um, John was also a much better guitar player as well than me and Vita, so he could fill in some of the guitar playing parts. And so when John Rosewall came in, he brought in his uh, friend Jason Kahn, who he knew and worked with. Okay. I mean, we all knew Jason, but uh, uh, John Rosewall and, and Jason were real close. Okay, so like when you're starting to play shows as Trotsky at this point, who like what kind of bands are you playing with? Do you, was there like, you know, we've seen a lot of, for example, bands getting paired up with Firehose a lot. Right. Were you, sure, playing, that were was, you playing with the last? You know, um, we weren't playing with the last. I remember us playing with Firehose, uh, Dream Syndicate. Um, gosh, I have to take a look at some of the posters. I know that we went up to San Francisco and played with, gosh, I wonder if Cracker had formed at that point. Mm-hmm. Meat Puppets, I think, and um, just local bands. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was if the Gun Club was still playing around. If we were on bills with them, we played with um, trying to think Waldo the Dog Faced Boy. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and um, some of the other SST bands. You know, local bands. Uh, uh, Three o'clock. Giant Sand. Were they, did we play with them? We had a higher profile in SST, so we were, were getting a lot more bookings than we were before on our own. And then SST would uh, put us together with different bands and different bills. Yeah. Um, Were you touring? So, you know, we did. We did a um, short Pacific Northwest tour after the El Cabong album. Mm -hmm. And then for, um, let's see, Ultraviolet Catastrophe and Carpet Bomb the Riff, we did uh, two U.S. tours. It's one of those 29 shows in 31 days, (laughs) and you get all the way... You know, you go to New Mexico and, and uh, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, D.C., Boston, New York, Minneapolis, Chicago. 
gosh, we even did Montana, <clears throat> all the way up to, you know, uh, Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco and places in between. So, yeah, we'd pack up the, the station wagon and, and um, we did that twice for each of those albums. First one, we had uh, the whole compliment. We had Vetus um, um, on guitar, John Talley Jones on vocals, me on guitar. And on the second tour, after we recorded the album, Vetus said, <laughs> no mas, uh, you know, I've, I've done my tour. Um, you know, why don't you guys go out and promote the album? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was that. Uh, the cover photo, Joel Roberts, so apparently found it in a dumpster so was the album called baby you know and then you found the photo or the other way around so um my roommate from ucla who also uh was close to everybody in the band so joel was into photography and so there was a, a lab in uh west los angeles that he'd get his stuff processed at so he was there not too long before my birthday and happened to walk by a dumpster on the way out and there was a strip of photos um that was thrown away these colored photos and it, it was the photograph of the baby that you see on baby so for my birthday that was my birthday present from joel <laughs> and um in the living room at the uh, lyceum house where we were where we were living it was tacked up on a um, bulletin board and so we were i still remember we were inside after rehearsal drinking too many beers trying to figure out what we're going to name the album and i don't know which inebriated band member pointed but said let's use that photo and let's call it baby so that's how that's how it happened um so we we, we named the baby uh ned and um we always we always had this idea that we kicked around that um later i don't know how many years later probably you know like 20 or 25 years later we should you know reform the band re-release the album and, and you know title it the search for ned and try and find out who that who that baby was and where where he was today and what he was doing we thought you know that might uh get some get some press but it was all talk we didn't we didn't follow up on that well maybe you'll get sued like the like nirvana <laughs> or something <laughs> you know it, we we joke that uh if that happened what is it? The Streisand effect. It'll only boost the uh, right. the uh, visibility of the band and the album. It'll it'll backfire and it'll, yeah. it'll increase interest in sales. No such thing as bad press, right? Right. Okay. And Felice did the sleeve design. Mm -hmm. that, that I'm assuming uh, maybe Vetus's brother. Uh, Felice is his sister. Oh, okay. So Felice is is Latin, I think, for happiness. So. Yeah, she's uh, Vetus's old, oldest sister, mm -hmm. and uh, she's an uh, artist and graphic designer. The tracks on the album, I want to ask you about some of them. Sure. We're starting off with the song Incident. Now, uh, this one, like a lot of the songs, are written by you and Vetus. So right. I, I, how did that work? Were you writing and then bringing these into practice together, or was it one person writing riffs, another person writing lyrics? You know, it's a pretty fluid situation. Um, I predominantly write music, and that's how I wrote with uh, John in uh, 100 Flowers. So with Baby, I took a little further step and wrote some songs with lyrics. But mainly what I would do is I'd look for a partner, partner once I've got a, a song idea. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it would either be at rehearsal um, or sitting in my bedroom. You know, that's where I'd come up with uh, the music for that. 
and then uh, I'd run it by Vitas, and and most of the time he'd say, "Hey, that sounds great. You know, let me uh, let me see what I can come up with." So we we record a, uh, um, you know, just a cassette demo version of it, and then he'd play it in the car and come up with a melody and write some words, and he'd show up and and uh, we try it out in rehearsal. So <clears throat> yeah, that was one where, you know, I had an idea and um, he said, "Great, let me write some some uh, words and and a melody to it." Was the idea for Vetus to kind of be the primary vocalist, or was did it just happen that way? Well, um, originally he was the primary vocalist in, in Danny and the Doorknobs and the early Trotsky stuff. Um, I sang a little bit in One Hundred Flowers, but not much. And um, you know, I wasn't too happy with the results, especially since John was such a strong vocalist. I mean, it's kind of like there's no point um, in not having him sing. But with Baby, I wanted to try um, singing again and actually uh, took a class at a local community college. I remember I, uh, you know, uh, kind of learned how to sing. Mm -hmm. It didn't improve me that much, but it did improve me a little bit, enough to where I felt as though I could do some singing. So I sang, I think, three songs on the uh, Baby album. Okay, well, we I'm, I'm going to guess which ones. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You did it live, live as well, you said? Yeah. 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 So this Vita, one, Vitas, yeah, Vitas was the primary was, was the primary lead vocalist. Okay, and he sings on this one incident, right? Yeah, okay, but you sing on the next one, Dante's Flame, right? Okay, right. Um, Good guess. <laughs> very danceable baseline. You mentioned Gang of Four as an influence. A lot of these, I feel like the songs that you sing, I'm picturing like, you know, maybe you writing the lyrics, which is why you would sing it. You see that often, right. like whoever wrote it, sang it kind of thing. And I feel right. like the, the ones you sing have strong bass lines. So I'm, I'm picturing you writing on bass, maybe. No, actually, that this was all um, uh, guitar-based uh, writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rosewall probably, you know, uh, looking back on it, he probably should have got a writing credit because um, so much of his bass playing is real integral to some of the songs. I think... Maybe some of my songs are a little simpler, and so there's more room for bass. And so, um, yeah, uh, Wally's got such a, a, a great bass intro on that that um, yeah, he probably should have got um, he probably should have got a nod on songwriting on that. But he he put that together um, afterwards after I came in with the the finished arrangement and the vocals and the lyrics. Uh, the next one is Mar Vista Bus Stop. Uh, now this mm -hmm. one has DJ Bonebreak on marimba. So how did yeah. how did that happen? Well, Vitas um, recorded a bunch of SST bands, and I think DJ had played marimbas on another project. I'm trying to remember. Vitas Vitas would remember which one. And so um, he had a, a, a snippet left over that wasn't used in the um, in the recording project that he had recorded them on. And then asked him if he could uh, use it on the baby album, and so what he did is he made a loop out of it, ah. and yeah, and so so you hear it playing in the background, and it gives it just a, a you know, uh, oh I'm sorry I'm mistaking that for, and it goes like this. He did come in and play on um, on that track, Marvis to Bus Stop, specifically for for that song. Oh okay, and it, yeah, and it's a it's a more traditional part as opposed to a loop part. I, I was getting it confused with a, a later song. Okay. Did you ever perform live with DJ? 
Um, no, I don't think he did. He performed with us. And that's Vetus on vocals for this one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very, very sad, very sad story of, of, of love and, and being out in the rain, uh, 3am. <laughs> A little push at the top of the stairs. <laughs> that's written by you and Vetus. Yeah, that, that was a fun one. Um, you know, I came up with the guitar part and, um, it was funny. I remember I couldn't play it fast all the way through. So what we would do is, um, we had Jason, uh, uh, do the drum part and then Vetus would start, start the multi-track and I would play until I couldn't play fast anymore. And then he'd punch me in. And so I was able to get a, get all the way through the end of the song. Um, because it's all it's all downstrokes, right? And and so uh, pretty fast. So, so that one was fun. We we laughed a lot about that because uh, just trying to get it finished and uh, a usable part. Okay, uh, the next one is Burry Manilow, written by Vitas. Okay. Um, yes, I really like the '60s kind of picked guitar riff on this one. Well, that is that's John Rosewall on bass, and um, Vitas had had kind of the basic rhythm part. And so uh, he, uh, Jason, and Wally on bass recorded the basic track. I added a few guitar parts here and there, but the majority of the interesting guitar parts that you hear, that's John Rosewall. I feel like that one, th- this song would have been like really popular, kind of a, kind of your hit maybe at, during this era. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, it was kind of a throwaway track and just, you know, it's kind of a gag, and um, and that's the one that that caught on the most with with people outside the band circle, you know, um, people who are playing, yeah. And so so it's like, you know, God damn it, you know, the throwaway song, it, it, of course, is the one that gets the traction. That's but always the way, the way it at, is, right? The one you yeah, yeah. probably aren't even, maybe not even going to put on the on the record, and it turns out to be the the one. Right, right. But, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, if, if it's getting us some notoriety and, and helping us, uh, uh, you know, sell the album and get the band's name out there, you know, you suck it up and say, hey, uh, that's great. Yep. <laughs> okay, one of your songs, Pillars of Salt. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to guess you on vocals. Right. Again, a really strong bass line. So, interesting that you say, you know, your songs were left more room for for writing like that, possibly. Yeah, you know, this had an interesting um, origin. Um, there was a reunion show that 100 Flowers did, mm. and it was part of a record promotion for um, Wednesday Week, some friends of ours, yeah. uh, Christy Callen. And side note, uh, I played bass in uh, the precursor to Wednesday Week. I played uh, bass in Narrow Adventure. Ah, okay. A- and um, um, Space Case Records is re-releasing uh next month um all our old recordings so i'm going to be playing with them uh, hopefully in the new year oh wow but uh and yeah you're going to do some shows to promote the 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 old the release oh that's awesome yeah i'll be back on base uh, but going back to pillars of salt so uh 100 flowers got together to uh, do a set and then um what we did is we uh, i came up with the song idea during the rehearsals and we actually performed a version of it live at the uh, at Club Lingerie at the set. Um, and so it was a one-off, and I really liked the idea, so I brought it into Trotsky. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the way we recorded it was it's a pretty unstructured freeform song and so i just recorded the guitar and um drums with jason and then we built the track from there then wally had some room to do his bass vetus added his guitar and then i did the vocal hmm. but um yeah it had a lot of it was i used a repeat pedal okay so yeah. i'd play a part and it would just loop over itself and and kind of you know morph into these different sections and different sounds and so um that kind of open structure gave rosewall a lot of room to uh, maneuver and come up with another great baseline that you know totally makes the song mm-hmm. definitely what you're describing right now is not something you see a lot of in sst <laughs> uh, recordings is that the, you know the uh the ability to to build a song in the studio right like that. and and yeah because uh because we we're doing it without being on the clock and having mm-hmm. anybody to pay for it uh, we had a little more flexibility to yeah, do things like that. For sure. Okay, flipping it over, uh, we've got a Vita song, Big Daddy, and we have some acoustic guitars too. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah that that's uh, that's a different track. Um, I I think that's one of Vita's better. Uh, he, you know, he's got a, a good wit, a certain amount of sarcasm, and good delivery. And so, um, yeah, I think yeah, what I played on that is um, a is a octave part on the guitar that kind of was ended up being the basis for the bass track so whatever you hear on the bass playing you hear on the guitar playing that was my contribution but the rest of it was um uh, vetus and john rosewall uh, putting that track together okay don't buy it that's uh you and vetus writing together right right that was a fun one I, uh, um, you know, I came up with uh, the guitar part, and then um, I remember <clears throat> bringing the idea into the studio, um, and Rosewall working with Jason Kahn to really kind of come up with an interesting arrangement. The two of them really played a, a, a really big role on a lot of the arrangements. Uh, they worked together real well. They kind of had a shorthand way of communicating, saying, and drop here, come in here, you pause, I'll do that, you know, and they'd kind of do this real quick uh, discussion and I'd look at Vetus and kind of look at them and then they say, okay, now let's try it again. And I'd play my part and then they would have these different things that they would do with bass and drums <clears throat> and suggestions on, on how to handle things. So their, their input was real fun. They were very quick and had some great ideas on the arrangements. And that was one of them. Yeah. Jason's definitely more than just a drummer. He's, I mean, we've seen him on, Universal Congress of and Leaving Trains Records and you know he's got his own music that he does now that's you know doesn't even he doesn't even play drums on it <laughs> right right no he's 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 brilliant and he's had a really really interesting musical career mm-hmm. then we have an untitled instro was this I, I'm picturing this being like a group a group right so so this is this is interesting um when i was in 100 flowers and on the 100 flowers album um i did a song called uh funky kel where i wrote the lyrics and music and and john and and kevin contributed music as well so i I was never particularly happy with my vocal approach on that vetus always liked the music so he kept pushing Let's do an instrumental version of it. So that's an instrumental version of Funky Kel ah. from 100 Flowers. And um, we didn't know what to call it. And we didn't have a solution by the time 
uh, we were we had to come up with the artwork. So Vitas just put in brackets as a placeholder, and they were never replaced. So that's <laughs> that's the origin of that. Um, we did a, we did a great we did a great live version of it. And it goes like this. Now, this is the one you talked about with the DJ Bonebreak marimba loops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I I think that that's one of Vitas's most uh, compelling and beautiful songs. And and I think this kind of gets us to a larger discussion of Trotsky and, and SST. You know, I'm pretty familiar with the SST bands and SST catalog. Probably not as familiar as you since you're going through them uh, numerically. <laughs> But, um, you know, I don't think that's your typical SST track, mm-hmm. um, which which I think is good for a band to be able to kind of push against maybe some of the, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say restrictions, but kind of the, the approach that other bands took. So I, I think that kind of helps us stand out as being somewhat unique. And, um, you know, Vetus's... Um, lyrics and his melody are uh, are really compelling so uh, yeah it's it's a really compelling story behind that about um his mother and his mother being uh in the hospital and and, and very sick mm-hmm. but you wouldn't necessarily pick that up from from the song and the lyrics and uh very very uh, very deep uh emotional song very meaningful in the middle of a crazy album that has Dante's Flame, Pillars of Salt, Barry Manilow, um, Don't Buy It. So, you know, I I think one of the things that I really like about the Baby album is we could go from serious to, you know, slapstick to experimental to more structured mm-hmm. to pop to punk. So I, it was definitely one of my favorite albums. It's definitely super eclectic. That's kind of why I was asking, you know, what kind of bands you played with because on one hand, like a band like the Dream Syndicate, you would totally fit on that bill. But, mm-hmm. you know, the the album is super varied, which is really cool. You know, I, th- I think um, when um, we started in the urinals and, and 100, 100 Flowers, the idea for punk was really um, just kind of exploding what had previously come before. And, you know, under that umbrella was... Um, you know, all kinds of experimental bands, pop bands, minimalist bands, um, you know, you'd go see Rockabilly, you'd go see um, uh, a British band, you'd go see the Plugs, you'd go see a Hollywood band, you'd go see a um, uh, South Bay band. And so it it was really open. And so I think that's something that um, we carried with us, Vetus Vetus and me, and the other guys in the band, John and, and uh, Jason. And so um, I don't think we were trying to just get one style locked in and just hammer it in every song. I, I think we really took to heart that there weren't any rules and we could just experiment the way we wanted to. And what was great about SST is they let us experiment the way we wanted to and they said, that's great. Yeah. You know, go do it and we'll, we'll support you. You're just writing. Yeah. Whatever comes out is, that's the band. Okay, uh, barricades, another another co-write with Vetus. Yeah, that was a a pretty standard guitar part that I came up with, and then um, Vetus heard it and said, you know, he wanted to give it a go. Um, a lot of times I would write stuff and I didn't know if it would fit or not, and generally he was supportive, so he he said, let me give it a go. That's from um, the Paris uprisings in '68. 
where the students were, you know, pulling pieces of cobblestone out of the out of the street and, and lighting things on fire and, and throwing things at uh, at the authorities. So that was the genesis for Vetus's lyrics on that. Uh, and then Robitussin Rag, and it kind of is a rag <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that really showcases um, John Rosewall. Like I said, is was the best guitar player in the band and um, had played a lot of different styles of music. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, he came up with the music for that and Vetus came up with the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's all Vetus and John Rosewall. Yeah, I was going to ask who was playing guitar on this one. Yeah, yeah, that's Wally. Now, on the CD, we have a couple bonus tracks. So I watched this movie, this uh, Hellbent. It's up on YouTube. And it looked like right. maybe Vetus was kind of tasked with being the musical director of the show. He was. So yeah. I'm assuming that's how Trotsky got involved. Right, right. And I think um, um, there was a song that was, it wasn't released on the, I don't think it was a re released on the uh, baby CD, but it's called Hellbent. Mm -hmm. And that was the theme theme for the music, which is, which is interesting since we're talking about baby um, we got all the rights back from SST to all the recordings. And so we've always retained the multi-tracks. Vetus went back and had all the, um, the tapes transferred to digital. And one of the songs that he uh, remixed and, and um, brought into the 21st century is the Hellbent theme. And so uh, Poison Summer Records, we can get into this later, is in the process of reissuing all those SST records, oh, wow. and we we just finished Baby, oh, and so great. yeah, so Hellbent is going to be on the on the reissue. Oh yeah, well I was uh, going to ask, so uh, we'll get. I've got sure. some questions about that in a minute. So this movie though, uh, Hellbent. Do do you know anything about Richard Casey? You know, Vetus told me some stuff at the time, and and it just sounded like. Um, just a really offbeat kind of crazy film and character, someone that would really appeal to Vetus. And so he said, Hey, let's, let's do this. And it was like, it sounds fun. So let's go ahead. And, and actually I think, I think it was Jason Vetus and Wally who did the theme for Hellbent. I don't think I played on that. I think they came up with this extravaganza with guitars and keyboards and bass and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, uh, it, to me, it, it kind of sounded like a version of Trotsky inspired by, uh, Steppenwolf. Um, it <laughs> got, just, it just kind of, yeah, had, had that kind of vibe to it. You know, you could hear the Trotsky in it, but you could also hear the different influences. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, Wally's play and the mm -hmm. way he kind of steered it. Okay. So these two bonus tracks, Rolling Blind, mm -hmm. uh, and Hit Parade, which is, I think a re-recording of a Poison Summer track. Yeah, um, if I remember, bonus bonus one and bonus two. So I think uh, Rolling Blind was the alternate name for the uh, theme for um, the Hellbent film. Ah, okay. So that yeah, so the the that track um, that's where that got kind of cannibalized from, and then um, the other the other song. Um, yeah, same thing. I came up with a guitar part, and Vetus, Vetus filled that in. Um, they were they were tr songs that didn't make the um, at least my my contribution. It didn't make the cut for Baby. It, it wasn't as strong as the other ones. We had enough tracks, right. but um, 
you know, when it came to CD releases, we were kind of jumping on the train with everybody else. Oh, fill out, you know, fill out the uh, album with outtakes and alternate versions and things. And what's interesting in hindsight is what that kind of does is, I don't know, um, I think it dilutes the impact of the original um, standalone album. And um, so, um, you know, as far as uh, Baby being reissued, I I think it might have the Hellbent theme on it. Um, but leaving everything else intact, probably not using those two bonus, using the other bonus track. Okay, so let's talk about these reissues. So, baby is sure. going to become. We're talking physical media as well. Well, right now it's it's digital. Yeah. I've talked to be this because I I think the the most I think the most successful um, album in the catalog of Trotsky is Baby. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it. Um, that really kind of stands out. Not that the other albums aren't good and valid in their own right, but that's the one that got the most, um, I think, attention, most sales, most critical praise. And so if there, if there is an album that deserves to be reissued in vinyl form, I think that's one. Now, Vetus and I are in the middle of trying to figure out what to do uh, with that. I think that um, one of the difficulties we're having with Poison Summer Records is getting a distributor, especially during this time of COVID. So... Um, I don't know if there's going to be talks about trying to uh, issue a digital on Poison Summer and maybe get someone else to issue the, the vinyl version of it or whether we're going to jump in and finance it ourselves. I do think it should come out on vinyl. I, I, I think it's it's worthwhile, and, and uh, I think that there would be some interest in it. So yeah. we're still talking about that, trying okay. to figure it out. Cool. But it will be up on your Bandcamp page, I'm assuming, at some point and hopefully in the near future. Absolutely. And this is off the source tapes. Um, you know what Vetus did is he actually got the original multi tracks mm-hmm. and went back and um, remixed it. Oh wow! So yeah, so um, you know at first at first I was like you know we we should leave it alone. It's kind of a it captured the period and how we were doing things. I was a little skeptical, and then what he did is he went in and he re, re, uh, remixed a couple songs, and I was surprised. It sounded just like the band but only a little bit more clear and a little more uh punchy mm-hmm. so once i heard those i was on board it, it doesn't radic it doesn't radically rework it it just makes it a little clearer as to what we were we were doing at the time interesting and so um yeah so it's like i said i i'm kind of a purist you know leave it the way it is um but fetus uh you know he proved me wrong he went in and, and uh, came up with uh some mixes where it was like, hey, this sounds great. And everybody was on board with, with the remix. So, What about like some new stuff, more new stuff? Because you've, you know, you've got the Danny and the Doorknobs record, the Trotsky, I Haunted Myself, 100 Flowers single. Right. So, um, so we're, uh, Trotsky is working on five, five new songs, uh, one of which is a cover by um, Spirit. Mm. Uh, their, their hit single, I Got a Line on You. Okay. And then uh, four originals. And then we've got a couple other songs in the can that we're working on as well. So, you know, if we get enough uh, Trotsky digital EPs together and singles, then I think we might uh, think about putting putting it together for a physical a vinyl release. And then I've, I've got a, a solo uh, project <clears throat> that's coming out on uh, Poison Summer. Uh, the band is Circlons, okay. C-I-R-C-L-O-N-S. I've got a four-song uh, EP. I'm just going to get the um, 
the CD shipped out to me. Just got noticed that it's uh, finished up. Still waiting on the vinyl version of it, so I'm going to do it vinyl as well. Oh, cool! And this is and your, this is a solo album, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So I work with um, uh, Hunter Crowley, who was a former Last drummer and also a former Trotsky drummer. Yeah, I work 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 with Tom Hofer, who was the current bass player for Trotsky, and then um, <clears throat> what I do is I work with different vocalists. So interestingly enough, on one track, John Talley Jones sings uh, vocals. Um, another vocals is Lisa Kay from the Bell Rays, yep. um, and then Adam Marsland, who is in Cockeyed Ghost and Solo Project, and then uh, Barbara Manning. She does a vocal on one of them as well. That's so, cool. yeah, yeah. And so, so that's part of a larger project. In the new year, I'll be releasing a, a full album, and it's a different vocalist on on every track. Okay, and, and that, that'll be up on. Like the Poison Summer Poison. Bandcamp, if people want to try yes. and track it down? Definitely. What about shows? You know, um, I think that um, COVID has definitely had an impact. Yeah. And also, um, you know, Trotsky, we, we had we had uh, some tough times, inter, you know, interpersonal band stuff before uh, COVID hit. And um, so Vetus is kind of doing, Vetus is doing a side project now with, with John Rosewall, they call it Petrified Max. That's up on on uh, Poison Summer, mm-hmm. and then um, <clears throat> the remaining guys. We've been finishing up some of the tracks. Vetus does play on some of them, but not all of them. And um, I don't know if there's any plans right now for live shows. Um, there's been some interest, you know, about the remaining folks talking about it. Uh, Vetus has expressed to me he's not interested in playing live. Which is interesting because way back in the day, around the Baby album, he was interested in Trotsky being a studio project mm. as opposed to a, a live project. But um, you know, he he eventually stopped playing live with us, as I mentioned on that last tour, and then um, this go around as well. I think he's in a situation where he's real happy just doing studio stuff with Rosewall and then um, their drummer that they that they brought in, mm. who uh, they both know. Okay. Danny. Any unreleased Trotsky stuff that, that you know about that Vetus has found on any of these tapes? Well, what's interesting is, um, so Danny and the Doorknob had a, a resurgence. Mm-hmm. So after we recorded and released the um, At World's End album, I Haunted Myself, Vetus put together Danny and the Doorknobs again. And he and I worked with uh, John Rosewall and John Frank and uh, did some recordings. And then we had some previous recordings that we did uh, way at the beginning. We didn't know if they were going to be Trotsky or Danny or Solo or whatever. Um, But it's with me, uh, uh, Tom Hofer, John Frank, and then some guitar by Tom Watson, another guy who's all over SST stuff, and some recordings by John Rosewall. And so... Vetus has collected um, probably about eight tracks, and I've gone in and recorded about four more guitar tracks, and we're going to turn those into another Danny album. So that's kind of in the in the mix as well. Ah, um, that's yeah, great. Lots of yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to next year. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Right on, Kale. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know. This has been fun for me, and and it's good to talk to someone who's um, 
you know, when I heard that you were going back and going through each SST uh, release numerically, I just thought that was a brilliant idea, and I think it's a really cool thing. Oh, thank you. And, um, uh, you know, I think, look, SST played such a major role in, in music and is such an influential label. And some of the stuff they, they released is very popular. I mean, everybody's heard about the Minutemen and Black Flag, and, and um, some of the stuff is not quite as well known. And so I think a podcast like this shines a light on some of the lesser known um, releases, which in, in their own right, I think are, are really valid and interesting. For sure. That's kind of our, our favorite thing. Everybody knows the Minutemen and Black Flag already. It's the, it's right. these obscure, you know, one-off records or, you know, bands that didn't really get their due that, that really interest us. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it and, and keeping that. that music, keeping that music alive. Uh, you know, I think there's kind of a, a, a group of people who are interested in, in this kind of music and uh, keeping it uh, vibrant and alive. And uh, you're doing your part, which is fantastic. And, and it's been a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, well, I'm very happy to hear that, you know, uh, people that want to hear this stuff or, and potentially buy new copies of it are, are going to be able to, because that's not always the case with some of this stuff. So that's really exciting. Right. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. And happy new year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. All right. So cool to have Kel on. You know, his comments about SST just being open to them doing whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah. It remains one of my favorite things about doing the show and about the label. It just exemplifies the whole artistic way about SST kind of curating, supporting all these bands, all these artists, your comment to Kel was, you know, well, you guys were just writing whatever, what came naturally, you know, you weren't trying to please anyone except for yourselves. And then you ended up finding a label other than, of course, Happy Squid or Old Scratch. You found another label that would just put it out for you. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, again, it's that ethos from the early punk movement, right? You know, that mindset of there aren't any rules. Yeah. Uh, some interesting stuff for me is some of the stuff that's coming out. This Narrow Adventure, his pre-Wednesday Week band with Kelly and Christy Callen of uh, of Wednesday Week, getting issued on that Space Case Records, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, there was previously only a super limited cassette-only collection on Burger Records. I think that's the only thing that's ever come out before from that project. I uh, should have mentioned this probably in our roundup, but that second Poison Summer record, the Trotsky Ice Pick one. That one's up on their band camp. That came out last year. Uh, the Baby remix coming in 2022. Straight off the multi-track tapes. We haven't heard that happening too many times in the previous 196 episodes. Yeah, and I would say that it probably won't happen a ton unless you've got Vetus Matari in your band. Like you have to get the, you have to get the tracks and you have to have Vitas Matari in your band. It's true. Uh, new Trotsky material coming. Yeah. Uh, the new stuff from Callet. I think he says the band's called Circlons. Barbara Manning of Twenty Eighth Day sings on it. Ja John Talley Jones, Hunter Crowley, Tom Hofer are on it. Lisa from the Bell Rays. Looking forward to that. A new Danny album with Tom Watson. Again, twenty two man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great year. Yeah, for sure. Should we check out this record? Yeah. History Lesson, Part 2. Shall I treat you 
to some Spaceman to begin with, Brent? Oh, please. All right. From the SST catalog, Trotsky Ice Pick, Baby. What happens when you cross the superb guitars and vocals of two of LA's most legendary bands, namely Cal Johansson, X-100 Flowers and Urinals, and Vetus Matari, X The Last? They band together and produce one brand spanking new, rocking baby of an album, of course. Watch out for these 13 tunes. SST-197, LP, cassette, and CD. Yeah. Recorded live, this is what it says on the LP, live at Wednesday night rehearsals during winter of 87 and 88 at Lyceum Sound Recorders, Mar Vista, California. Yeah. And the CD has two bonus tracks. It does indeed. Yeah, so I mean, when the Spaceman says 13 tracks, he's talking about the LP only. Yeah. Definitely can pick out I mean, the production on this is fantastic, just like all of the stuff Vetus does. And, you know, what a what a treat for this band to be able to do it this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, these aren't rehearsal tapes, right? Like, it no. says recorded, recorded during rehearsals, but these don't sound like rehearsal tapes. Yeah, no, they sound amazing. Okay, track one, side one. Incident, written by Kale and Vetus. Uh, the way this song starts sounds like SST, if that makes sense. It also sounds like The Last and 100 Flowers and the Urinals in a blender. Yeah, it actually really does. Uh, another one in a long light line of great SST album openers. Yeah, these urgent slashing guitar chords, the toms, the bass rumbling, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah when the, the toms and the bass do that rumbling thing it's so awesome yeah i always like songs like this that kind of have a an off kilter discordant feel and then shift into a more melodic chorus yeah that's kind of the pattern for the song back and forth it works really good though vetus is a great singer too his style just suits the music perfectly for me yeah uh in robert christgau's review he refers to vetus matari's cool to be kind sarcasm yeah <laughs> i guess that's a reference to uh, Nick Lowe, maybe? I would say so, yep. Uh, the All Music Review by Richard Foss says, Vetus Matare's ironic vocals and arch delivery keep things interesting. Uh, really cool interplay between the, the guitars also. And like Vetus's cadence too, I really like. It builds up, it crumbles down. Like a sinking man, there is no sound. Really good, really good opener. And then yep. and then we go to Dante's Flame, written by Cal. Uh, so it's Cal on vocals. Uh, he suggests in the interview that his songs were a little simpler and left more room for some creativity on the bass. Yeah. Uh, an oversight on my part, Ryan, but I forgot to ask him in the interview about the videos they made for these tracks. Ah. Uh, which Two of which are up on the Wharf Rat YouTube channel. This is one of them. All directed by John Talley Jones and Kevin Barrett, by the way. Uh, here's what Cal told me. He said, The footage was shot in the backyard pool where Vetus had the home studio. John and Kevin came up with the idea of floating colored plastic film on the pool surface, with me and Kevin swimming underwater in bright colored clothes. The scene with me lighting and putting out the cigarette was added to give it a tie-in with the title, Dante's Flame. And as a 
bracket to start and end the video, shot on film and transferred to video for editing. Now, it'll come as no surprise to you that I just love the bass sound on this too. It just sounds like a P bass with a pick and I can't get enough on this record. Yeah, super funky and just a cool song. I love the whoops you can hear them make like throughout the song you know it makes it sound super live and maybe it was you know yeah uh dante allegari was an italian poet writer and philosopher known for his depictions of hell and purgatory you've heard of dante's inferno which is the first section in his narrative poem the divine comedy so i'm assuming that's what this is a reference to the solo section on this track just rips for me love it yeah you mentioned Gang of Four, and I think you're right. Uh, during the interview, there is definitely some danceable Gang of Four type of sound. But also, we'll, we'll get into it a bit more as we go through the album. A lot of the rhythm section work reminds me of 100 Flowers. Yeah. Uh, track three, Mar Vista Bus Stop, written by Cal and Vitas. Uh, Richard Foss in the All Music Review singled this one out. He said, the splendid Mar Vista bus stop paired energetic up-tempo pop guitar and nervous percussion against an anguished meditation on a crumbling relationship, and it carries a powerful emotional impact. This is the one with DJ Bonebreak on Marimba. Uh, it says on the LP, DJ Bonebreak appears courtesy of some big-ass record company, which is Electra. <laughs> <laughs> Vetus on vocals for this one. Uh, I like how the song starts with guitar and vocals in marimba and and then the hi-hat comes in making you think that the song is really going to kick in but then it just drops out again when it doesn't yeah <laughs> the the marimba just crushes it for me I love it it's such a great texture and and atmospheric sound on it kind of reminded me of remember when the Sadies toured with the marimba player mm -hmm. and that was so killer yeah, it was really cool. Uh, this one has like a definite 60s, the last vibe to it, for sure. Mm -hmm. Then we go into another Cal and Vita song, A Little Push at the Top of the Stairs. Vita's on vocals again. This is the one Cal was uh, having trouble with, the you know, the quick picking. Yeah. The chord changes do come pretty fast. This is just a super fun and catchy pop song. I really like it. Yeah, another up-tempo track totally fits in. Yep. Uh, then we've got Avita's track, Burry Manilow. It's, I guess, kind of pronounced Barry, but it's spelt B-U-R-Y. I read some YouTube comments that this was actually played by The Last as far back as 1979, this song. Hmm. Some of what I read suggested that this was kind of their hit off the record, too. Yeah. Well, you could see why people would gravi gravitate to this track. It's super catchy. Yeah. Uh, Kale says it was, you know, to them a bit of a throwaway, maybe. Uh, Richard Foss calls this a breezy insult to the vapid pop king. I, I don't really, I don't even know if it's really about Barry Manilow. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it might just be a cool play on words. Yeah. I believe Cal uh, said this was John Rosewall on guitar for this one. I love that he calls him Wally, by the way, in the yeah. interview. <laughs> <laughs> Definite 60s feel with the picked chords. Vetus', Vetus production on this whole album is just so top-notch. Yeah. Just like everything we've heard from him. And then we close outside one with Pillars of Salt, 
uh, written by Kel, and he does the vocals on it. Written during rehearsals for a 100 Flowers reunion show, I think is what he says, Mm -hmm. uh, which totally makes sense. It has a different feel to the rest of the record. Definitely more of that moody post-punk thing. Yeah, I I listened to that Rhino comp that you mentioned this week, and I was just totally rocking so hard to it, man. Pulchritude? It's awesome. So so check this out. Um, I made this connection. It's probably not like real, but this song obviously is very reminiscent of the 100 flowers sound, but it's called pillars of salt. And you know what band I thought of when I heard this song? Hmm. Pill. Okay. Yeah. It has a, it has a pill sound to me. Yeah. I can hear that. Definitely right to have Kale singing on this one. His voice just suits the song perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we flip it over and we've got big daddy written by Vetus. Uh, so here's another one they made a video for. And it's also up on the Warfrat YouTube channel. Cal told me, I never asked Vetus about the lyrics, but I always assumed Big Daddy was about U.S. President Ronald Reagan and George Bush, which makes sense given the video for the song. After Vetus told me what he was looking for in the video, I found television news broadcast footage of Reagan, Bush, the convention where Bush was nominated as the Republican presidential candidate, Testimony of Oliver North at the Iran-Contra hearing and the presidential helicopter. I transferred and sequenced the sections to another videotape and turned it over to John and Kevin for final editing and effects, and the rest is history. You can hear, you know, the reference to the presidential helicopter at the end of the song. Watch out for that chopper blade. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that the uh, the drumsticks on the rim kind of had like a chopper blade sound to it. Mm-hmm. They also give the song, you know, along with the acoustic guitars and kind of that bop and bass line, almost a rockabilly sound mm-hmm. with those rim yes. shots. Yeah, yeah. Really built around the acoustic guitars. And then you can hear in the song when Bush, when Reagan's out and Bush is in. Here comes a new big daddy. Folks love him. Love him. He's an ace. What went wrong with his buddy before him? Well, you can see it in his face. Mm-hmm. You sure can. Yep. Okay, then track two of side two, Don't Buy It, written by Kale and Vetus. Richard Foss calls it an anti-consumer anthem. Yeah. So they did a video for this one too, but I couldn't find it, which is unfortunate because check this out, what Kale told me. It was filmed in a single take. I recall I was in it along with Joseph Pope of Angst and one or two others. We were in a semicircle doing repetitive movements with no particular meaning while John and Kevin rolled a camera around us in a circle. Strange but fun. Hmm. Pretty quirky song. Almost made me think a bit of Show Business Giants. Wow, I didn't make that connection. Yeah. Love the lyrics. Don't buy anything real time. Don't buy form- formulations. Don't buy what plays on the radio. Mm-hmm. Don't buy Siggies from Cowboys. Don't buy <laughs> don't buy anything <laughs> rancid. <laughs> yeah, definitely encouraging the listener to be critical. Yeah. I love false endings too in mm-hmm. songs, and this one has one. Uh, track three, Window Pain, written by Cal. This was, I really like this song. This is, uh, you know, just that driving bass line and drum beat, again, mm-hmm. along with Cal's vocals, which just perfectly suit the song. Yeah. Track four, which is just brackets on the LP. This is the intro uh, that Cal originally brought to 100 Flowers. 
Funky Cal. Makes me think of the pups a little bit, fire hose a little bit. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, this track on the 100 Flowers self-titled album, it it definitely, you know, you can tell they're the same track. When I listen to this untitled version, it also reminds me of some other 100 Flowers tracks like All Sexed Up, for example. They just had like such a funky groove, that band. Yeah. The next one, and it goes like this, a Vetus song. This is uh, this one has the DJ Bonebreak marimba loop from a previous session. Uh, Cal definitely rates this one high. A very personal song by Vetus. Never would have known he salvaged that marimba part from another session. It just fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was looking around trying to find where it might have come from, but I couldn't. Um, the song just has a haunting quality to it. Yeah. Uh, then we've got Barricades, written by Cal and Vetus, a song, as Cal says, about the Paris uprisings in 1968, particularly uh, in the month of May when protesters barricaded the streets. Just a really cool driving rocker. Mm-hmm. And then Robitussin Rag, written by John Rosewall and Vetus. That's John playing some really great folky finger-picking guitar. Uh, a cool way to end the album, except, Ryan, if you have the CD, it's not the end. Yeah, before we move on to the last two tracks, though, I wasn't expecting you to mention the show business giants, but I wanted to ask you whether you remember any other Robitussin song out there. Hmm. Is there a Showbiz Giants Robitussin song? There is a Tom Hollison song called Fussin' with the Tussin'. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that one? I do. Fussing with the Tustin. <laughs> do you remember watching Tom Holliston perform it when he actually pulled out Robitussin and drank it on stage? Did he really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, that guy's hilarious, man. I was watching actually Hanson Brothers footage recently on YouTube. Oh, yeah? And just skipping ahead. You know how they play like five songs in a row and then do a long break where like, all right, everybody. John's trying to talk, and Tommy's I, I talk, I, he's rambling about something, and John's just yelling, "Shut the fuck up, Tommy!" Yeah. <laughs> no, I have something to say. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Okay, bonus track. Oh, before we get to that, Ryan, I'm gonna give you a little spiel. So these are from a movie. The movie, yeah. Yeah, Hellbent, 1988, directed by Richard Casey. Uh, there's this book, Ryan that I finally got a copy of called Destroy All Movies, The Complete Guide to Punks on Film by Zach Carlson and Brian Connolly on Fantagraphics Books. That sounds cool. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it is cool. And this this movie's in there, so I'll, I'll read you the review by Zach Carlson. Awesome. Nice work. It's titled The Devil Likes Rock Music. This movie fearlessly depicts the divot in the American counterculture that evidently was 1988. Ernest Young songwriter Lemmy, no relation, kills time in a red-lit, low-class dive, pulsating with gothic waists and their black Q-tip haircuts. Stoned maniacs wear sunglasses after dark and howl at the stage as Lemmy's band, The Mind Parasites, grind out lethargic alternative wailings. Hungry for fame, the group sign off their immortal souls to sinister rock promoter Tannis, which one can only assume is an anagram for Santa or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
Their shows, their shows take a morally downward turn as Lemmy hacks up live snakes for an enraptured crowd of bikers and zoned out punks. He becomes hooked on Robitussin. (laughs) (laughs) You don't fuss with the Tussin. (laughs) That's right. Dragging his girlfriend with him into the morass. It all ends with a supernaturally driven gunfight and a blind man singing in a graveyard. Uh, So it's got the angry Samoans on it in the movie. Like, just the songs, they're not in the movie. Uh, Trotsky Ice Pick. Red Wing, the song uh, by Angst off of Mystery Spot, is on it. Drowning Pool are are in the movie. Like, just the soundtrack, who are in, like, an interesting synthy avant-garde band from L.A. I know I've mentioned them before. Uh, Venus engineered and produced some of their stuff. Uh, The Love Supremes. I couldn't find much out about that band, but Vetus was definitely involved. The only output I could find uh, was a version of the Stones saying this all together on a split with the dirt bombs on one of those Norton Stones tribute 45s. Oh, cool. I actually own the single, uh, so I dug it out. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's definitely got DJ Bonebreak on Marimba on it. Uh, so Vetus was the musical producer on this movie. That YouTube channel that I mentioned a few episodes back with all the new wave theater stuff, Cartoon Man, they have right. they have the full movie up. It's worth an hour and a half of your time. Hellbent? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, looks like Richard Casey also made a documentary on the Angry Samoans called True Documentary, which yes. ca- came out on Triple X Records in 1995. It's also up on YouTube. That is, yeah. I've watched that. Yeah. I bet you have. Since you're a, a huge angry Samoans fan, watch Hellbent, man. Ah, I'm in. Okay, the bonus tracks. So they're just on the record. They're called Bonus Track One and Bonus Track Two. Bonus Track One is credited to Vetus, and it's the song "Rolling Blind." Mm-hmm. Uh, super awesome. Builds the tension for about a minute and a half with some swampy blues, and then it kicks into this really ripping tune. It has keys on it. Easily the heaviest guitars on the record. Vetus does a super unhinged vocal. Probably should have been on the LP, I'd say. Yeah, it's good enough to be on the LP. Um, it, it has like a gun club vibe for me too. Yeah. Uh, maybe an X vibe. Like It's just got the best LA punk vibe, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I Definitely these two songs sound like they're from a different session though, so I can see why they maybe didn't include them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, track two is the song Hit Parade. This song is uh, actually on the second record, uh, but it's pretty different. That one's almost like a reggae song. This version is super rocking. Uh, I can see why they didn't put this one on the LP since it's a re-recording, but it's great. Uh, the cover art, Ryan, with Baby Ned on the cover, that's one happy baby. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool story about how they find it. Talk about uh, found artwork, hey? And there's a, a strip of Ned on the, uh, the the jacket when you open it up, too. At least on the CD version. I only have the CD. Yeah. The LP, one of the labels, looks like it has Ned's buttocks yeah. on there. Uh, a great live photo of the band by Don Williams. Kind of guitar is that. Looks like a, like a double cutaway Les yeah. Paul or something. Epiphone maybe, too. Yeah. It looks like there's an F hole on there. It might even be a hollow body Ibanez too. It's possible. Yeah. It's not a Gretsch. I know that. No, no. It looks like a Tele next to him or maybe a Strat. 
Mm-hmm. It's definitely some strat sounds on this record, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I think when you look at the headstock, that's a strat. Yeah. Some thank yous, Ryan? Yeah, man. It says, and a big thanks to Mike Watt, John and Kevin. That would be John Talley Jones and Kevin Barrett, I'm sure. And then it says, uh, baby photos recovered from dumpster by Joel Roberts. Sleeve design, you mentioned this during the interview, Felice Matare. And then it says, for a lyric sheet, send self-addressed stamped envelope to Trotsky Icepick. Yeah, I'd love to have that. There's dead wax on the LP, Ryan. Lay it on me. I don't have it. Okay, so for starters, this was mastered by John Golden. Side A says, get a Gretsch. Oh, yeah. that's why you're wondering what, <laughs> what the heck that guitar is. Yeah. Side B, and don't call him Wally. <laughs> nice yeah all right you know what man like this record i'm surprised i guess a to hear that you're not like i know you're just such a fan of the urinals and 100 flowers i just assumed you you know this is a record that you've sat with for a really long time no i i've had it for a long time but i've never really soaked in it it yeah. kind of i kind of got it i listened to it a long time ago and I don't know. I just kind of sat on the shelf. I kind of forgot about it. And um, I started listening to Trotsky again in the last few years, again, with their new releases. And I was like, what have I been missing? You know, it's just. It's a gem. It's a real gem. Great stuff. Great stuff. People talk about this era of SST. I think we're in the era that people start to write off. Starting in 87, for sure. Yeah. They start writing off SST because let's let's just get right to it. They're lazy. Yeah. Well, this one, like uh, the Run Westy Run record mm. that we just did, and the one we're coming up on, the Dos Domin stuff, that last record that we did. Yeah. Confession. Confession. Yeah, man. Killer record. Screaming Trees, Invisible Lantern. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. When people talk about, you know, let's say the 200s and beyond in the catalog they really don't talk about many bands other than dinosaur jr and then and like you know soundgarden that one that one by soundgarden and like that's almost it for almost 200 releases yeah well this one's a gem for For sure. sure yeah yeah i just love this record all right ballot result ballot result there's lots of great ones on this one hey like I can't wait to hear the rest of their stuff at you. It seems like this one is held up, held up as like the, yeah. the best album. They're all really good. The sound definitely changes when John comes in to sing too, for sure, but not in a bad way. Like it's all good. Yeah. Um, this is definitely, I don't want to say that Trotsky became more accessible over time, but I would say it definitely over time Trotsky got more traditional song structures and melodies hmm. as as compared to one like this. Yeah. Well these guys can write a song, so I'm I'm down whichever direction they want to go. Yeah, there's heaps of talent there. Yeah. Okay, my favorites were Incident, Mar Marvista Bus Stop, A Little Push at the Top of the Stairs, Burry Manilow, Window Pane, mm. and then the two bonus tracks, Rolling Blind and Hit Parade. Yeah, I I have a very similar list and I was really struggling about whether it's legit to include Rolling Blind because it's like a bonus track, but 
I'd go between Incident because it's such a killer opener and Rolling Blind. I thought that they were top two. Yeah, let's do Incident, man. Okay. Doesn't feel right putting on a bonus track. Even Cal says in the interview, like, I do agree with, you know, what he said about, like, when you put bonus tracks on an album, it can kind of dilute the original intent. Mm -hmm. You know, there are albums like that for me. Where they put a bunch of crap at the end. These last two are not that, though. Like, I, I understand, though, how you think you know, the artist's vision of an album as a package and then you tack on some, it's kind of like, uh, what are we doing that for? I get that. Yeah. Let's do incident though. Done. All right. Hey, thanks to Cal for being on the show. And thanks to Jeff over at the wonderful Paisley stage, raspberry and rhyme podcast again for the hookup. Ah, cool. Yeah, Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, man. All right, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we're going back to, uh, one of your faves for sure. It's SST 198, the Henry Kaiser, those who know history are doomed to repeat it, LP. Yeah, love Henry Kaiser, can't wait, man. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.